Okay, so after our introductory series uh, discussion, discussing Hashkafa, what it is, how it's developed over time, and how we as individuals are meant to be uh, developing our own, <clears throat> we're going to jump right into the topics themselves and start asking, okay, well then what are the various uh, legitimate traditional beliefs that are reflected in the sources in all of the various areas and subjects in our religion. So we can start developing that Ashkafa. We have to start going through the sources on, well, just about everything that we think and everything that we believe and every idea that we, uh, that we define as truthful. And to do that, I mentioned this before, but I, I broke up our you know, belief systems, our, our kind of major beliefs into six categories. Beliefs that pertain to the Torah, Ben Adam Lemakom, so those things that have to do with us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's, you know, anything from Emuna and Yirat Shemayim to Tefillah and Avoda, Hashkacha Pratit, any topic that really falls into the category of our relationship with God, mitzvot as a function of serving God, then we're going to go, then we have uh, Ben Adam L'Chavero, uh, we have Ben Adam L'Atzmo, which is just understanding, uh, understanding, you know, how Judaism sees the human being, this balance between the spiritual and the physical, how human beings develop, and, and uh, the idea of schar, the different religious approach to the different aspects of the human condition, uh, and emotions, and um, etc., so that's, that is another topic. So we have Torah, Ben Adam L'Chavera, Ben Adam L'Makom, Ben Adam L'Atzmo. We have Am Yisrael, which is a major, major category uh, that the Torah speaks about that is perhaps, perhaps out of all the major areas of Hashkafa in the Torah, Am Yisrael is the, the one spoken about, you know, perhaps the least over the last uh, thousand to two thousand years but it's, I mean, it's, a, it's an unbelievably large focus in the Torah itself, as we'll see from the Psukim, that every other Pasuk just seems to be talking about um, matters that pertain to us as a nation, as opposed to our uh, individual religious responsibilities. And then we have uh, the final category is in religious or spiritual leadership, uh, anything from uh, Nevi'im, Malachim, Kohanim, and uh, Rabbanim, Talmidei Chachamim. Those are the categories. We're going to start with Torah, and it's going to take us quite some time, because there is really a lot to, to cover. The Torah is endless, and our study of Torah is endless, and even our philosophy on Torah uh, seems to be endless. But we're going to start with Torah, start to make our way through. Eventually, we'll uh, transition to those other areas, and uh, we'll see what we want to do second. Okay. When you start learning about Torah... Uh, in terms of, you know, our various positions and beliefs as it pertains to our Torah, you can really start in one of two places. You could start probably with the significance of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, since that mitzvah is called Keneged Kulam, and it just seems to be singled out repeatedly and regarded as the most significant mitzvah and also the most significant endeavor, uh, religious endeavor, that uh, perhaps exists. That's one place to start. That's not where we're going to start. Because before we get into Talmud Torah, which I think is an expression really of the connection that we have with Torah and our ensuing obligation to learn it, 
I think we should just understand what the Torah is uh, first. We should start to get some good working definitions for the Torah, uh, what its content is, uh, what the parameters of interpretation are, uh, just to have a, a better conceptualization of what exactly we mean when we say Torah, Torah Shubhishtav, Torah Shubhalpeh. What are we talking about? Let's define our terms. Let's develop a deep source-based understanding of what Torah is, and then we'll transition using that understanding to our relationship to the Torah, perhaps you know, starting with our halachic responsibilities and the mitzvah to learn Torah, and then get into the deeper uh, hashkafic uh, connection that we have to Torah, why it's davka given to Klal Yisrael, the different levels of connection to Torah, and then uh, different sugyas in Limura Torah, how to do it properly, um, and, you know, kind of what are the parameters of, of, of Limud, when to learn, when not to learn, uh, is learning the only thing we have to do. So these are just uh, some of the topics that we will cover in Mirza Hashem. But I, I believe that we should start by just starting to define our terms and developing a better conceptualization of what, what Torah is before we talk about our responsibility to learn it. So in our first chilek, that's what we're going to be doing, uh, talking about what Torah is. And we're going to look at it from three different vantage points. Uh, the first of which is just going to be defining the word Torah. And through defining that word, we're going to get a different, you know, different senses of what is, of what the yud of the Torah is. So what is its unique uh, makeup? What is its unique uh, characteristic? In that it would be called Torah and not chokhmah, not wisdom, not even godly wisdom, uh, or tzivoy, melashon uh, mitzvah, as a commandment, uh, there's a very specific reason why it's called Torah and not knowledge and not commandments. As it could have been called God's knowledge, if that's how you see it. It could have been called God's commandments, uh, if that's how you see it. And yet it's not. And the reason it's not has uh, major implications and will be very revelatory for us in understanding the Torah. So that's, the, that's going to be vantage point number one, is understanding what the word Torah can actually teach us about uh, what it is that we're studying. The next vantage point we're going to look at is the tochen, the content, and what is the Torah uh, actually comprised of? What is considered Torah? What is not considered Torah? Then finally, uh, we're going to look at Torah as a concept, not just a content, these words and not those words, uh, this halacha and not that halacha, rather, um, what do we believe uh, the Torah is on a conceptual level? N- you know, beyond the Torah being a book, uh, what is it on, and I, what, you know, I guess, what were, what's the best way to say this? The Torah, you know, may also be a book uh, that God wrote, or a tradition that God gave over, but that book and that tradition are reflecting of something significantly deeper that God wanted to transmit to his people that he simply did in uh, the form of a book or the form of an oral tradition. Uh, But what God decided to give over and how that was depicted and how it was formulated has everything to do with this deeper uh, conceptualization of what Torah is 
and why God wanted to give it to us. So again, we're going to look at the word, the content, and the concept of Torah. Let's start with the word, Torah. Maharal brings three different definitions for the word. The word Torah actually comes from the Torah. Kadesh Baruch Hu instructed Moshe to take the Sefer HaTorah that he wrote, uh, the book of Torah that he wrote, and put it in the Aaron. So God's own reference to this scroll that he instructed Moshe Rabbeinu to write down word for word uh, was a Torah and, and, and nothing else. That is the source for the word. And the Maharal gives three different understandings. I would say uh, complementary understandings, not mutually exclusive understandings, as to what this word indicates. And the first thing that he explains is that Torah is essentially an instruction. Lehorot, to instruct, that the Torah instructs us as what to do. And the reason it's called a Torah is because it, the name reflects that the broader purpose of the Torah, primarily speaking, is to instruct us in our actions and to tell us what to do and what not to do. And for that reason, it's called Torah and instruction. That's what he says in the Gur Aryeh uh, in Bereshit, in the very first uh, Pasuk. But the Maharal in Drosh Mitzvot writes something a little bit different. Not exactly different, but he just adds on there. He adds on to what he says and essentially says, okay, well, if Torah is Melashon Mitzvah, instruction, telling me what to do, then why not just call it Mitzvah? I mean, I understand maybe that's the foundation, that's the, that's the Yisod. That's the, you know, that's the foundation of this term. But the truth is, we have a term that would seem to be even more apt, which is mitzvah. So why not, why not call this the Sefer HaMitzvah? Or Sefer HaMitzvot? And the Maharal says the reason why it's called Torah and not mitzvah is because the implication of the word mitzvah is, has connotations, not just connotations, but perhaps the actual uh, uh, the actual intention of the word is a commandment in the way that a king would command his people, where the ikar and the focus and the goal of the mitzvah is for the commandment of the king to be executed by the people. The king does not care if you understand the mitzvah or if you learn about the mitzvah or if you love the mitzvah. The king wants you to do the mitzvah. So what being mitzvah means is being instructed to complete an action where the primary goal, if not the exclusive goal, is the completion of that action. And there is no significance to the king. There's no significance to the king outside of that action being completed. However, this is fundamentally not true when it comes to Torah. And so the word Torah implies something a little bit beyond just being blindly instructed. In fact, uh, we're supposed to be, the, the Torah is supposed to be an illumination of our commandments. Where the Torah's goal is not just to teach us 
what we are obligated in so that we know how to and that we have to execute it. But the Torah also wishes to illuminate this instruction for us so that we can learn about the instruction, understand the instruction, delve into the depths of the instructions and why they are necessary. And because the Torah's goal is not just that you know what you have to do, but that you understand the depths of this instruction, the word mitzvah alone would not have done justice. And Torah, the implication, is an illumination of this instruction. The final uh, definition that the Maharal brings can be found in a couple places. Um, it can be found in Netivot Olam, Netiva Torah, Perik Aleph, where the Maharal explains that, that it's a little bit more than just an instruction, and even a little bit more than just an illumination of that instruction. Uh, but Torah actually comes Milashon Hora'ah, which is to, to guide, to guide, even to navigate. I think what that means is very significant because the, the goal of, let's say, a legal system is to regulate uh, behaviors. And it's how you create a functional society. Uh, you need to regulate uh, people's behaviors so that they are not a harm to the, the peop- to the people around them, and so that people can uh, function together harmoniously. And that's the ultimate goal, is the regulation of the behavior. And as long as you, you know, do the things you absolutely need to do, and don't do the things that you absolutely cannot do, so then you're in the clear. And now you get to decide how you want to live your life, what's important, where you're going, what your goals are, what your beliefs are, so long as they fit in the context of you can't do these things and you have to do those things. So a legal code is not guiding us as individuals to a, an ethical uh, lifestyle. It's just, it's just uh, preventing us from, let's say, behaving in an inappropriately unethical way, in a way that harms, let's say, the people around you. But you get to decide the life that you live and where you're going and you know, what goals are worth aspiring towards and how you define growth and what's worth uh, working towards. That's all in your hands. And the legal code is just your gvulot gizra. They're your uh, parameters. Don't violate this. You absolutely must do this. Once you're functioning acceptably, properly in our society, you decide, uh, you know, what it is that your life is about. So they're just, they're not guidelines. They're just, you know, the rules of the game, the rules of your life. Can't do this. You have to do this. Beyond that, once you're functioning properly in terms of our legal standards, uh, you define for yourself everything else uh, that you would like to do. Says the Maharal, the Torah is fundamentally different than that. Because what the Torah does is it's actually guiding you somewhere. The point is not just, well, you know what? Don't hurt your friends too much. Or don't do this because it's just radically uh, inappropriate. Uh, There is actually an end goal for the Torah. You are at stage A. 
you, the desire, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will is that you reach Z, you do not know how to do that on your own. This is a mission that has practical implications, spiritual implications. Um, it's going to touch upon the religious domain and the, and, you know, the domain of society and, uh, and monetary regulations. And, and, and getting from A to Z in this world is beyond you. Following the Torah is not just about remaining in your in in the legitimate you know legal uh, uh, confines, but it's really about following the navigation system uh, to get you to your end result. And explains the Maharal, the end result is Olam Haba. The end result is that you are fit and ready for Olam Haba. And it's not just a reward that God gives you for following the Torah. It's actually the spiritual result uh, that keeping the Torah will have, um, or the spiritual result that you know, keeping the Torah brings about through the impact keeping the Torah has on your neshama. And that is the Lashon of Torah of Hora'ah, is the goal is essentially to guide you towards the ultimate completion of your uh, spiritual development and every every aspect of shmirat torah is what's leading you there beyond just commandments in order to adhere to the king's will you are following an instruction a navigation system uh, one that guides your spiritual purpose towards its ultimate existence in Olam Haba. Okay, after having discussed the names of Torah and what that might indicate about the Torah's essence, we're going to go on to discuss the content of Torah, which we can divide into two categories, Torah Shebikhtav and Torah Shebalpeh, and then further subdivide um, for Torah Shebikhtav, it's Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Let's focus on Torah for a second. Of course, Torah is broken up into five svarim of Bereshi, Shmot, Vayikra, Bamidbar, and Dvarim. Each story has their own area of focus, uh, Bereshit being focusing on really primarily the Avot, Shmot starting out by focusing on the formulation of Klal Yisrael as a nation, and then the second part of Shmot is focusing on uh, Matan Torah and the construction of the Mishkan. Vayikra is all about the service of the Mishkan and the eventual service of the Beit HaMikdash. Vamidbar being you know, a major account of the stories that, uh, that, the stories that transpired in the Midbar. And finally, Dvarim is kind of uh, something of a, of a recap of the Torah uh, or a recap of much of the, of the Bamidbar experience. But Chazal gave each Sefer an independent name, and I think that Sefer is very often a, an insight into the essence of what's dealt with in that book. So Bereshit is Sefer HaBriah, which we understand because it deals with Briah Ta'olam, but beyond that, Sefer Bereshit seems to be throughout not just Parsha Bereshit, but the entire Sefer, dealing with the origin of everything that we know in the world today. So, you know, maybe on the most basic level, you look at Adam and Chava, 
who it would seem from observing their story is not just the story of the first man and woman, but uh, perhaps uh, a story about the human experience, the male experience and the female experience. And it's interesting how the stories that they undergo actually explain to us some uh, natural phenomenon, some emotional phenomenon, and just some major elements of the human experience today. You know, for example, uh, the knowledge of, uh, of Tov Vera, the knowledge of uh, good and evil, were things that apparently uh, human beings did not have when they were created. Uh, but it's, of course, something that we're deeply familiar with today, and that has its origin story with Adam and Chava. Of course, childbirth, which we know is a, a natural biological process, again, has its origin uh, with Chava. And so we see that Adam and Chava are not just uh, random stories about the first man and woman, but rather stories about the, about the development of man and woman to what we know them to be today. And the same is true for, for actually all nations of the world, many of the big nations of the world, and especially Klal Yisrael. So the big nations of the world just have a brief origin story where we get Ammon and Moab from Lot's daughters, where we get Edom from Esav, where we get uh, Yishmael, where we have you know, major, the major nations of the world uh, that exist and that comprise these 70 nations of the world that uh, we're familiar with uh, have their origin stories in Bereshit. So again, this is not just about the creation of the world, it's really about the creation of the world and everything in it and everything that we know today. And furthermore, uh, the main focus of Sefer Bereshit seems to be sure on the Avot, but in a deeper sense, it's on the creation of Klal Yisrael. So the stories around the Avot and the Shvatim are not just stories about our ancestors, but they're actually stories about the formulation of Klal Yisrael. And you could see it as the programming of, or the hardwiring of our spiritual DNA or our religious identity. See, in the same way that you can understand the story of, you know, Chava, and what she did, and how she was punished, and why she was punished, and how that impacted all uh, women today, you can understand that what the Avot went through uh, were essentially hardwiring our spiritual DNA, and building the actions, and the events, and the midot uh, that they represented in their lives into our spiritual identity. And so the Avot stories, again, they're more than just historical um, accounts of our ancestors, but they are uh, really, they serve as something much deeper than that. They serve as the story themselves uh, can also be seen as, uh, as the hardwiring of our spiritual DNA. Everything that they went through is now uh, deeply rooted within our spiritual character as a, on a national level. And uh, Sefer Shmot, Sefer Hageulah, the Ramban famously asks why it's called Sefer Hageulah, meaning I understand Klal Yisrael was redeemed, uh, taken out of Egypt through that process. We have, you know, we formulate as a nation and, or we, we forge a nation, we develop that connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and then we ultimately receive the Torah. But at, by the end of Sefer Shmot, we are not yet in Eretz Yisrael, which would be the peak of our redemption. Not just, not just 
from bondage to nothingness, um, but rather from Egypt to Israel. That's how we understand the complete process. So the Ramban very famously says there that the Sefer, it's called Sefer Hagu'ula because it ends off with the completion of the construction of the Mishkan and Kodesh Baruch Hu's presence residing among us. So even while the Geula Shlema is once we get to Eretz Yisrael, there is still a partial Geula, a partial Kiyum of the Geula, once we have a Kodesh Baruch Hu's presence reside among us. And that's why it's Sefer HaGeula. We're not only redeemed in a sense of taken out of slavery on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level, we were brought from a godless nation to one that has God in our midst. And that was the true HaGeula. Vayikra is Torah Kohanim, and that is, uh, and that is the, the accounts of you know, most of what the Kohanim's service is going to be, uh, b- both before the Beit HaMikdash and during the Tkufa of the Beit HaMikdash. Then you have Bamidbar, which is Sefer HaPikudim, which is a Sefer full of, uh, a book full of, of, of accounts, um, accountings uh, for war and, uh, or for the Avodat HaMishkan. And finally, you have uh, the Mishneh Torah, the repetition of the Torah. Of course, it's not a direct repetition, but the the difference, the nuances, uh, and uh, come to highlight some key elements of the Torah, and also specifically whenever you have two accounts of something, like for example, the two accounts of the Aser to Dibrot, studying the difference between those two accounts uh, is very revelatory of, uh, of what we went through in the Midbar itself. So that's something about the, that's just a, a deeper look into the Chamishe Chomshe Torah. Then we'll move on to Nevi'im. Essentially, you have Nevi'im and Ketuvim. Nevi'im primarily is written through Nevuah, and Ketuvim is primarily written through Ruach HaKodesh. Nevi'im primarily deals with uh, either stories or prophecies, where Ketuvim can have some stories, some prophecies, and a lot of uh, philosophical works or a lot of works of deep Jewish thought. So the Gemara in Mesechet Bavabatra deals with the order of the Nevi'im, lists them off, Yeshua Shoftim, Shmuel Malachim, Yirmiya, Yechezkel, Yishayahu, and, and the Treyasar. Of course, we're uh, generally more familiar with Yishayahu being listed before uh, Yirmiyahu, but these basic Svarim, the Treyasar being Hoshea, Yoel, Amos, Ovadja, Yonamicha, Nachum, Chavakuk, Zephania, Chagai, Zachariah, and Malachi. So these are the minor prophets. And of course, Nevi'im itself is broken up into three parts, essentially, where you have the Nevi'im Rishonim, which are obviously very deep and very meaningful stories, but at least story and historically oriented, where we have a, a direct, a detailed account of our conquering the land of Israel and our settling the land of Israel from Sefer Yoshua, our initial attempt to set up a system of government and the ultimate uh, problems and failures with the Shoftim model, our development into the Malachim model through the last of the Shoftim, through Shmuel, and finally our, uh, and finally our dynasties, our kingship dynasties, which eventually broke after Shlomo Melech into two different kingdoms, into Malchai Yehuda and Malchai Yisrael. The, uh, that's that's Nevi'im Rishonim. Nevi'im Achronim uh, happened at the same Tkufa, the same time period as uh, Malachim, for the most part. Some of them even happened after uh, the Malachim. But they have a very different focus. Instead of telling you the history, they're more focused on um, 
giving over relevant messages that the different prophets of their time, the biggest of them being Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu, and Yechezkel, uh, Yeshayahu having dealt with the stage of our history where we still had a chance of reforming our ways and, and saving the Beit HaMikdash, our ultimate failure to do so, our destruction, and then uh, our promises or our prophecies, Latid Lavo, Yirmiyahu dealt uh, primarily with the, with the prophecies around the destruction, and Yechezkel uh, dealt a lot with the prophecies of uh, Latid Lavo and, uh, and the more abstract um, uh, the more abstract domain of uh, what we're waiting for, what we're anticipating in that regard, Masa Merkava, uh, etc. And finally, the, the smaller prophets, just, it's also uh, primarily um, prophecy or story-oriented, just with smaller stories that didn't play as significant of a role uh, as we see Yirmiyahu, Yechezkel, and Yishayahu. So that's Nevi'im Rishonim and Nevi'im Achronim, and the difference between uh, that division, of course, the division of Shmuel, Aleph, and Bet, Malachim, Aleph, and Bet, as well as Divrei Hayomim, Aleph, and Bet, are not Jewish divisions. So that's Nevi'im. Uh, when it comes to Ketuvim, again, the marking trait of Ketuvim is that it's written by, uh, written through Ruach HaKodesh. So the Gemara of Babatra also gives you the list for, uh, for the Ketuvim. It also lists everyone who wrote everything. There's some small discrepancies between what it says in Babatra and what it says in Seder Olam Rabbah, uh, which we're a little bit more familiar with in terms of the authors of different of the Sfarim. But I just want to focus on the content for now. So... We have in Ketuvim, it says, Rut Vesefer Tehillim, um, which is interesting, because uh, we're, again, we're familiar with a different, uh, with a different order. Rut Vesefer Tehillim, Eov Vimishle, Kohelet, Shir Hashirim, Kinot, which we call Eicha, Daniel, Umegilat, Esther, Ezra, Vedivrei Hayamim. So again, we're familiar with five Megillas, whereas here we just say Megillat, Esther, we're familiar with Eicha, here we call it uh, Kinot. Uh, perhaps we're familiar with Ezra and Nehemiah. Here it's grouped together just as Ezra. And Tehillim is essentially uh, David HaMelech uh, Tefillot to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where you learn a tremendous amount about the nature of Tefillot in general, as well as the different ways to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, through Tefillah and through conversation, and the different times that we want to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and what the appropriate way is to do so. Times of happiness, times of sadness, times of success, times of thanks, times of fear. Uh, so David Melech really details for us the many different ways of reaching a Kodesh Baruch Hu through our words, through our tefillot. Um, then you have uh, Mishle, which is authored by, well, uh, uh, Seder Olam Rabbah attributes it to Shlomo Melech. That's what we're uh, most familiar with. And that is basically Mishalim. Right? It's a crash course in Jewish thought uh, through, uh, through different ideas and metaphors as opposed to having the ideas spelled straight out. Uh, uh, Eov, which is a, a book about Tzadik Viralo, essentially, how to wrap your mind around good people to, to whom bad things happen. Eov was a wonderful follower of God, and uh, the Satan told God it was only because that God gave him whatever that he wanted, whatever he needed, and that's why he was such a, a devout follower. But of course, that would fall away if God ever ceased to do so. And we see the details of Eov's, um, you know, gradual demise as everything is taken from him. And ultimately, God's message at the end for what the proper way to, to see it. 
uh, the proper way to view our experiences in our own life and the bad things that happens to us. Um, then we have the what we call the five Megillas, which are Eicha, which are, are start with Shir Hashirim, which is a love song from Shlomo Melech to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, also representative of the way that we're supposed to relate to God. Uh, Root, which was written by Shmuel in the time of the Shoftim, and it was it was kind of the pathway leading up to uh, David Melech. We have Eicha. Uh, which is, again, Yirmiyahu's Sefer around the destruction. Kohelet, which was Shlomo Melech's uh, Sefer, kind of mapping out different ways of living your life, seeing the world, whether you should, you know, assume that nothing is significant or nothing is important, nothing matters, or maybe I should only be pursuing pleasure, because that's what matters most, and ultimately his conclusion for leading a religious lifestyle. And finally, the one that we're most familiar with, uh, Megillat Esther followed by Daniel, another officer in the uh, Galut, in the exile, who's ultimately stripped from his glory and whose life is threatened, followed by Ezra, the story of her return, and the Divrei Hayamim, uh, which is essentially, uh, in, in the one sense, seems like a recap of the Torah with many uh, very clear uh, distinctions. In, in an interesting sense, it's kind of like Tanakh is in a certain sense, recapped in a similar way to how the Torah is recapped through Devarim. But of course, there are many, many significant differences between, between Divrei Hayamim's account and the Torah's account, as well as just different things highlighted and different things focused upon. And that essentially was written at the time where there was some dispute around who were the proper leaders of Klal Yisrael and Divrei Hayamim was uh, basically written to give uh, credence to the Malchut Beit David and the and the kosher kohanim who were meant to be serving in the Beit HaMikdash. That is, uh, I guess, you know, Torah Shebikhtav in a nutshell. There's a lot more to say, but uh, we'll go on now to Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh, let's take a look at the Rambam in the Hakdama Leperish Mishnayot. So the Rambam in his Hakdama outlines a fair bit about Torah Shabal Peh and the process and how it works. We're going to see a little bit more about the Torah Shabal Peh when we uh, get up to the chapter where we're just going to focus fully on Torah Shabal Peh, but now I just want to map out its contents, which the Rambam does uh, in several different places in the Dhamma of the Perish Mishnayo, and I want to break it up into three parts. First of all, the Rambam says, Dashikol mitzvah shenatan HaKadosh Baruch Hu l'Moshe Rabbeinu nitna lo im peirusha. Hayah HaKadosh Baruch Hu omer lo hamikra v'acharkach omer lo peirusha ubiuro. V'kol ma'ashakalal oto hamikra hamechuka. So it's interesting. So, the Rambam says all the mitzvot that we have, so they came from Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu explained to Moshe Rabbeinu everything there was to know about that about that mitzvah. Here's basically what he would do: he would say Moshe Rabbeinu write down this pasuk, and then he would give him the perush, and he would give him the biur. So. What is the perush and what is the biur? And then finally, v'chol masha kalal oto hamikra mechuka. So essentially, what Kodesh Baruch Hu would give Moshe Rabbeinu was two things. First of all, it's the perush to the pasuk itself, because there are many different levels to understand the pasuk. Sometimes you don't even understand it on a pshat level, necessarily. For example, we count Sefirat Omer from the second day of Pesach. That was a topic of much dispute between the perushim and the tzedukim, in its time, because the Torah says that we're supposed to count Svirata Omer mi macharat hashabat, and so the tzedukim count from the 
first Yom Rishon of Pesach, whereas we count after the first day of Chag, because we understand, based on our Mesorah, that the Perush of Mimacharat HaShabbat is Mimacharat, the day after the first day of Pesach. So sometimes the Perushim were just explaining the Pshat to us, because the Pshat itself uh, was unclear. And sometimes the Pshat itself was clear, but there were many subsequent levels of interpretation that we needed to know as well, uh, in increasing depth. And that's something that we're going to see a little bit more at length in some of the coming shirim. But beyond the perush of the pasuk, or the, the explanation or the elucidation, then there would be all these details that weren't included within the actual pasuk given that needed to have been, that, that still needed to be mentioned. Uh, so for example, the Rambam brings an example himself, and he says, V'inel ha-masha, amar lo Hashem besukot shivat yamin. The Rambam gives this example where he basically says that what happened, a Kaddish Baruch Hu would say, write down now that you have to sit in a sukkah for seven days. Okay. And then he's like, well, what's a sukkah? Well, this is what a sukkah is, and this is what it can be made from, and this is what it can't be made from, and this is how the walls work, and this is how to calculate, and this is what the walls can be made out of, and this is who has to sit in the sukkah, this is who doesn't have to sit in the sukkah, this is who's always obligated, this is who's never obligated, this is who's sometimes obligated. He would say, okay, write in the Torah, and let me explain to you what a sukkah is, and let me explain to you what teshvu implies, and let me explain to you who has to do this, and let me explain to you what you have to do all of these details. So what we've seen so far is essentially two components of the Torah Shabal Peh. One of them is the explanations of the Psukim themselves. The next is the elaborations of all the, the elaborations upon all the Dinim mentioned. We kind of got the shorthand through Moshe, but uh, Moshe Rabbeinu himself got all the explanations. Hey, what's a sukkah? What are tefillin? It just says tefillin. We have no idea what tefillin are. So, Moshe, so he told Moshe, this is what the tefillin looked like. This is how you're supposed to make them. This is what's inside of them. This is tefillin shal yad. This is tefillin shal rosh. So that is the second element of what Moshe Rabbeinu got. Not just a way of understanding the psukim, but all of the dinim and the parameters of every concept that is included within the Torah. The final stage that you can see that the Rambam talks about here in the Agdama of the Perich Mishnayot is where he speaks about what happened after Moshe Rabbeinu died and a, converse, and, and, and a debate would come up about a topic that had not yet been addressed. The Torah didn't address every single topic. So what were they supposed to do at that point to address these new topics, these new concepts? So what they would do was they would take the Yud Gimel Midot Shator and essentially 13 principles for, uh, for extracting dinim, extracting laws from the Torah, and they would debate over which is the right din to apply to this verse, to this pasuk, and... And then ultimately they would vote on who had the proper position, who had the, uh, who had the position that was, most, that was seen to be most correct and most accurately representative of what the Torah was indicating. And through these Yud Gimel Midot, we were able to extract more information from the Torah than was uh, written explicitly or than Moshe Rabbeinu told us over explicitly in order to address the questions and concerns of, uh, of the uh, developing passing time. So we can really divide Torah Shabal Peh up into these three categories. You have the 
uh, perushim of the text itself. You have the biurim and all the additional elements of the mitzvot that God gave over to Moshe. And finally, you have the yud gimel midot, which enable us to be further mefaresh the Torah uh, after Moshe Rabbeinu's death. The two major works of Torah Shabal Peh, where we have both an inclusion of everything that we knew up until the point of this work, as well as the chidushim that those Rabbanim involved offered through the uh, Yud Gimel Midot, is the Mishnah and the Gemara. Essentially, the Mishnah was a collection of all the dinim that we were aware of at the time, and the relevant, uh, or all the dinim that we received from Moshe Rabbeinu, together with the various uh, debates that had come up. And the Gemara uh, was, as well as some chidushim of the Rabbanim of that time, in the domains of either dinim that were extracted through the Yud Gilomidot, or uh, takanas, or gzeiras. And then we have the Gemara, which essentially debates the different parameters of the dinim in the Mishnah, and has their own chidushim as well, in terms of uh, new dinim, new gzeiras, and new takanas. After the Gemara, after the seal of the Gemara, we were authoritatively... Um, incomparable after that time period. We, were, we, we no longer had the same authority in the domain of Torah Shabal Pet, perhaps largely owing, the fact, owing to the fact that it was written down and no longer transmitted orally. We lost the authority to to be uh, mechadish, to offer novel ideas or to use the Gimomidot on our own to the same capacity, and writes the Rambam, everything after the seal of the Talmud, after the seal of the Gemara, is essentially an exploration, an elucidation, a commentary, or some attempts to understand and elaborate upon uh, what has already been written in the Mishnah and the Gemara. But in terms of our authority to uh, offer new ideas in the same way that the authors of the Mishnah and the Gemara did, that, uh, that hasn't been done since the time of the Talmud, and we no longer have the authority to do so. So with that, we have concluded uh, what makes up the Torah Shabbal Peh, and uh, qualitatively what it makes up, and as time developed, what have been the major endeavors of the uh, Ba'alei Masora, who uh, have been giving over and illuminating the Torah Shabbal Peh since uh, Moshe Rabbeinu received it at Har Sinai. Okay.